Are you celebrating? I mean, people have come here and they've shown you, they've given your personal testimony to, the whole, to you and the whole world that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord of their life. Anyway, that's a lot to say amen over, isn't it? Yep. You know, I, yeah, thank you for that. You know, I, I, I missed two things here this morning. I missed communion with you. Can, will you let me come back next week? Yeah, good. We'll do that together next week then. I always enjoy that, and that's important. It's important to our fellowship, isn't it? You know, another thing I missed this morning was crazy love. And uh, I, I guess you went, yeah, no, I'll be, I know. I'll be back. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. If, that. if you missed crazy love, you really, it, you hadn't been blessed by crazy love. It's because you hadn't been there. That has been an absolutely great fellowship. Not just a great study. And going to God's Word has been a great fellowship, hasn't it? And, uh, you know, love is crazy in the world, isn't it? The rest of the world just not, does not understand it, do they? We're going to talk about this morning. You know, about our love in here, in this body, in the church, and also how that love is seen outside the church. And how do we make all those come together? And let me tell you, I went to a really strange place, so I want you to track with me. We're going to Roman, go to Romans 12 this morning. So if you have your Bible there and you want to go with me, you know, Romans 12 begins with a... With a, a, a way that most people wouldn't say he's going to talk about fellowship, but indeed it does. Uh, let me read Romans 12.1 to you, and then we're going to pick up here in just a minute in 12.9 while you're looking. 12.1 says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed. Actually, it says stop being conformed to this world but be renewed by the renewing of your mind in Jesus Christ. Be transformed by Him. And if you do that, then you can test and you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Hmm. Then, then he takes these next few verses. He's talking about making ourselves, he's talked about making ourselves fully committed, submitted to Christ. We're, we're, we, you know, we'll talk about this another time, but it talks about being living sacrifices. Anybody here not have a day in their life they're not attacked by Satan? Does every day, doesn't he? We're walking with him. We are actually living sacrifices because what do we do? We die to ourselves and go to Jesus Christ because we've risen to new life in Christ like we just saw the testimonies of here. And then he talks about, right after the, these verses, he says... Here's what people are going to do in the church. Now, we talked about that last week and a couple weeks ago. And, you know, there are going to be preachers, teachers, uh, exhorters, showing mercy, leading, giving, all those things. But then we're told about how to do it. And you know how it says we're supposed to do all of it? In love. Hmm. In love. And it's not just any kind of love. Look at verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then he says, bless those who persecute you. Whoa. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is risen, it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, Lord, as we look in your word right now, would you just open all of this, Lord, up to us? As we, as we look through it, Lord, how do we live together and how do we live in the world, Lord, in your genuine love? Lord, we want to see that. We want to know how. And, Lord, because you are our Lord of our lives, we submit and commit all this to you. Open our eyes and our hearts, the minds, the eyes of our heart and the minds. All are here today, Lord. To your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so how, how are we committed to Christ as living sacrifices? How do we do that? Um, and, and have our minds renewed by the love of Christ. Renewed. That's every day. I, at least I found that to be true of you. It has to be renewed. I have to go to him every day. You know, we, we can't love those in the church without loving those in the world. And we can't really love those in the world without loving those in the church. They have to both go together, don't they? Verse 9 tells us about the quality of that love. Look what it says. It says it, it, that it has, this is what has to live in the church. It says, let love be genuine. Okay. Uh, that's not like the, the genuine thing you find on the TV commercials at all. Genuine here is a, is a really special word. First of all, let's talk about the agape part. That's, we know that one, right? We learned that in, 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 love, in um, crazy love. Agape is God's love for us. Has been all the way through Romans. So you get to 828 and then it's man's love for God. So it's love between man and God. But here we come here. And uh, here it's used to indicate the kind of love Christians show to others. We're to show them God's love for us. And how we love him. And this word agape is followed by a really interesting word. And you don't, do you mind a little Greek here? Can't, is it Okay. I know some of you said you like that. Yeah, okay. It, it says genuine. Uh, wait, wait a minute. It says um, not, what's it saying? Read that back to me again. Somebody, huh? Yeah, love, yeah. But not, the word is not hypocritical. It can be translated in any other way. So the, this love that we have is un, unhypocritical, genuine love of God. And it means that we're going to keep on loving even if we're rejected. We're challenged to live out this highest love and do it with the utmost sincerity, genuineness. And that's the love of God. Our love is genuine. It's not counterfeit. It's not hypocritical. Now, that's hard to put in practice in this world, isn't it? Because, you know what, we are bombarded with hypocrisy all around us. You cannot turn on the TV and not see someone who's saying, hey, be all you can be, which is like me, which is not the truth. We're supposed to be like an image of somebody who we aren't and never can be. You know who we are? We're made in the image of God. All of us who come to Jesus Christ, He makes us. We're not, matter of fact, for those who have been baptized today, we asked you this earlier from one of them, it's not who I was before, it's who I'm going to be in the future. 
That's the genuine love of God in action, isn't it? If we're following him and making him Lord. Uh, but you know what? We kind of learned to be like the TV commercials, hadn't we? We're trying to be something. You know, I want to have a good set of hair. No, I want to have, you know, I, I want to have a good tan or I want to go to the beach. You know, I want to have a nice whatever. You know what? That's not you. That's not me. Not me in Christ. I'm here to show the genuine love of Jesus Christ to all those around me. But we've learned how to be civil, haven't we? I love that. There's a bumper sticker that says, choose civility versus what? You know? Yeah, what am I going to be, uncivil? Hmm. But we learn how to be civil. And if you don't believe you have, you know, sometimes when you get stopped by a cop and you're being really nice, and while he's writing out your ticket, you're thinking, I hope you have a flat tire leaving here. You know, <laughs> yeah, we, we've learned how to be civil, haven't we? And that's disingenuine, isn't it? We're supposed to be lovers of Jesus Christ and show them his love. You know, I was, I was thinking about how am I going to explain that, that civility thing? I was, I was in behind. It's hard to be civil when you're in the grocery store line behind a lady who is, who's pulled out 42 coupons, 50 cents off. She can't find the right one inside of her giant Louboutin purse. You know, and, and, and then I'm thinking, I hope I get out in the parking lot before she does because I'm going to get in front of her. Yeah, that's, being, that's not being really genuine, is it? Not genuine love. You know, even, even deceive ourselves into thinking that we uh, love people we neglect. Or um, scripture tells us we can't pretend to care, can we? We have to really care. That's a hard thing to do. It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts all day long sometimes to care. Um, if we can claim the commitment of Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, we have to love without hypocrisy. We have to love genuinely. And you know what? We're told that not just here. We're told that all the way through the Bible. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You know that last part, I know. And, and uh, 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Timothy 1 says, Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And then Jesus Christ actually said in, in John 13, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that's the genuine love of God among one another. Uh, you know what? This is a call to honestly examine our own hearts, isn't it? How we love one another. And I'm talking about inside the church right now. Let me tell you what. So you need to ask yourself that. And if you're not sure about it, you know where to go to find the answer about how to overcome it? You go to Jesus Christ. Go and ask him, and he'll give you that love of God. So look what it says next. So with this genuine love that we have inside of us, it says we are to abhor what is evil. You know, some folks think we're supposed to just kind of look, turn the eye or ignore it or, or turn away from it or whatever. You know what it says here? Evil is to be hated. Now, I don't have to hate a person that's carrying that evil, but I can sure hate the evil. Can we not? That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, sincere love... Genuine love demands God-honoring moral resolve regarding good and evil. Uh, that's the morality part of this genuine love, inside and outside the church for that matter. And then look at verse 10. It says, love one another with brotherly love. This is the commitment part. We're to be committed. Love one another with brotherly love, affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, here's another little Greek lesson. Hang in there with me. You want to have a whole class? Well, I love it. Let me tell you, 
there, there are actually four words in, in the, uh, the Koine Greek for love. We only have, we say we only have two of them here in, in the, the New Testament. You know, the Philadelphia city of brotherly love, not good football, but some brotherly love. But that phileo is to love like a brother. And then there's the agape we talked about. There's one other word that only shows up one time in the New Testament, and it's right here. And it's family love. And that's what this is talking about. It's a family love. We're to love each other in the church as if we're in the same family. As if we're a family that works. That's what it says. That kind of love involves a lot of commitment, doesn't it? Same kind you find in good families. And then it says we're supposed to outdo one another in showing honor. Healthy families have a mutual respect for someone who does well in the family. You know what? My sister and I, we were not rivals. I got to tell you, my sister, I'm so proud of her, I don't know what to do. Not because she's a great educator. She has her doctorates and teaches at a university and has taught and all that kind of stuff. That's great. But you know what? She loves Jesus Christ. And I, I'm, I'm so proud of her, I don't know what to do. My granddaughter got baptized last night at a, at a church down in Glen Burnie. And she got up and gave her testimony. And she actually, they do it really neat there. Maybe we ought to try this sometime. But they actually hold up. And, you know, they'll say, I was lost, and you flip the card over, and it says, now I'm found. Uh, but she had that kind of testimony. I'm so proud of her. I'm not envious of her. I love her. And I'm so proud of her. Lift it up in our family. Can you say that? That's the kind of honor we are to have for one another, that family honor. Um, this is the way it ought to be in the church. Love increases family commitment and family joy. Does it not? Yeah. Um, Churches fight over the silliest things these days. You know, I, I, if you ever want a really fun website, maybe not so. For, but um, Tom Rainier, who's a who's a popular churchologist, I guess you'd call him. He reported a church. He, he reports the funniest, silliest things that go on in churches. And last year, there were two churches that split. Are you ready for this? They split over the kind of coffee they serve. Well, there's a family brotherly love, isn't it? Whoo! Actually, split and started a new one. You know, the, it was called New Folgers. No, it wasn't. It was <laughs> Star. No, I don't know. It wasn't. Anyway, most of the fights and the splits that happen in churches are from Satan attacking from the outside. And we need to all be aware of that together. Because he does. He comes and he surrounds us sometimes. And um, he's actually shown us his gnarly teeth this week, hadn't he? Some of us can tell you about that right here at this church. You know what? We've got to love one another. And here's how we fight. We don't fight him by going out with our, our laser swords or anything like that. I'm kidding. For, with personal joke. I'm not, anyway. we, you know what we do? We've got to show him the love that we have for one another in the church. And then we stand firm in it. That works. I'll tell you how we know that. Let's keep going with this one for just a minute. Um, Love one another with a warm family affection is the way I would translate that in verse 10. Outdo one another in honor. And then here's where, here comes the challenge. It says, do not be slothful uh, in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. You know, this, this thing, fervor, that means you need to get up and yell and scream. I mean, it's fire. It's fire in our belly. We need to have that kind of fervor when we're serving the Lord. Fervent in spirit. Um, you know, I, that, that's costly. 
It means you're going to miss a few hours of sleep. It may mean you're going to miss a lot of hours of sleep when you do that, when you live and walk that way. Um, Luther said he worked so hard that when he went to bed, he literally fell into bed. That's where that comes from, I think. He couldn't get up. Matter of fact, the rest of that story, I may not want to tell you this, but I will, is that he didn't change his bed sheets for a year. He was too tired. That's, that is tired, isn't it? Um, here's another one. Moody's bedtime prayer. He's rolled into bed one night. He wrote this in his diaries. He says, Lord, I'm tired. Amen. That's it. <laughs> that was his good night prayer. That's tired, isn't it? What a great guy he was in doing all that, too. And when the, the, the great Scottish restorer, I, I wanted to get him in here, Alexander McLaren, went into his study. He took off his slippers and he put on his work boots. Because anybody that's going to be working for the Lord needs to be dressed for it. He was ready to go and work. And, and work until he finished. True love takes a lot of labor, doesn't it? It takes a lot of work. And how do we care with this genuine love? This, this love that, that is unhypocritical. It says contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Um, our care for brothers and sisters in Christ, you know what, should reach right down into our wallets. Mm, that hurt. Woo-hoo. Uh, yeah. It's a privilege rather than a sacrifice because the word contribute here is the same word that's used for fellowship in the New Testament. It's koinonia. That koinonia fellowship. We have love for one another as we work together for Christ Jesus, bringing others to him. And we're going to show them that kind of love, aren't we? It, it's, it's natural and, and right and joyful. And all of the people's needs are met when that kind of love is shared within the church. When they're seeking to show hospitality. Now, you know that hospitality means a lot because you know, I'm originally from the South. I know you couldn't tell by the accent. But that Southern hospitality is a whole lot different, you know. We all just love one another and... No, no, this is the kind of love we're talking about, genuine love in the church. Um, you know, and, and hospitality, that sharing, that koinonia, that was really important in the first church when this was written because back then, when you joined a church, um, you were disinherited from your family. I mean, you really gave up all that you had. That could happen, could have happened. You know, that still goes on today. It's important to the life of the church anywhere. This hospitality, this coin. Peter said, be hospitable to one another without complaining. <laughs> I bet you didn't know that was in there, did you? Here's, and this text, in, I know, we're going to have to go back and reread that. Anybody have a different translation? Okay, we'll have to live with that one. And this text in Romans says, says that we, we should aggressively pursue it. We're to go after it with fervor. Don't neglect to show hospitality. Uh, oh, and, and here's the in Genesis 18, when they're talking about Abraham, remember Abraham and his, his walk, and they he had some people come and visit him? Hebrews 13 tells us about that. It says, don't neglect to show hospitality to everybody, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels and guests without knowing it. Yeah, could happen. So let's just talk about what we just said, because I want to this. This is inside the church. Let's talk. Let's take it outside the church. But let's see what we see what we said here so far. Love's quality must be genuine, not disingenuine. Genuine. Morally, we have to abhor evil. Uh, 
and hold fast to what is good. It's commitment, love one another with a warm family affection. How we're going to love one another. Uh, anybody, want, I can come to dinner. I'm kidding. <laughs> Outdoing out one another uh, in, in showing honor. And, and here's how we express it. Do not be lawful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. You know, think of it like this blessed fire in your belly. And here's how love cares. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, these next few verses, we're going to, we're going to race down here to the end of this, this, this pericope. It says, um, it's about how our love is seen and shown in the world outside the church. When we're, and when we're confronted with Satan, who'd just like to walk in here and destroy this whole place, I'll guarantee you. And you have to look at this as, as a, from the viewpoint of someone who's under pressure from an unbelieving world. We're a minority. You know, we ever want minority rights? The only minority rights we're ever going to get are from God himself. And they're eternal. And that's wonderful, isn't it? But we are a minority. Um, verse 14 and 16, they give us some general principles, I guess, of love action in, in, in these verses. And, and then they tell us how to love when the world, how to love the world when we're wronged. Hmm. How do you do that? I have troubles with that. I'll be honest with you. And I got to tell you stuff. You know, I like this word we were using maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, radical. This is radical. This is way off the path. This is not the way the world does it at all. So this is the, this is the radical stuff. Um, we immediately know we're talking about a relationship with the world because of this supernatural command that's in verse 14. Look, it says, bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Now, there's one to try on. You ever done that? You ever been there and you wanted to just, you, you, knew you, you know you're right or you know you're being wronged, but you have to pray for them. You ever done that? That's hard. But that's what we have to do. We'll get there in a minute. This is the way, radical way that Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount. And, and it means praying for your enemies and, and, and includes praying for their forgiveness. Whoa, we had a little deal with that one, haven't we, brother? You know, someone who's really wronged us and set us up, we have to pray for their forgiveness. The only one on our side is Jesus Christ. This is radical stuff. It, it, it's one of the thing not to curse your enemies, but entirely another thing to pray for their blessing. You know, I, I, I wasn't going to use this. I found this reference, and don't take it out out of context. But the Arabs have this have a custom, which is practiced at different levels and everything. But here's what they do: they touch their head and their lips and their heart, indicating that I think highly of you, I speak well of you, and my heart beats for you. Kind of sounds like uh, that'd be a great way for the world to act, wouldn't it? Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And the next command in 15, verse 15, is equally radical. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So if you watched the Ravens game last night, you can rejoice. And if you watch the O's game, no, no, they're rejoicing there too, right? No, that's not what that means at all. I know you're shaking your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Believers are to identify 
with the world, with its ups and its downs. Because you know what? We're the, we're the healing that they see. We're the salve. We're, we're what soothes them because they see Jesus Christ in us. Chuck Swindoll um, says the world is characterized by, you ready for this? Indifference, non-commitment, disengagement, no sharing or caring. Meals eaten with hi-fi headsets turned up loud. Even separate bedrooms. Each with a personal telephone, TV, and turntable, private toilet, and it's none of your business attitude. No hassle, no conflict, no accountability, no one to share or reach out or give a rip. Just watch the numbers and look at nobody. That's the world we live in. So here we come along as genuine, loving believers who weep with those who weep. And rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, George Fox, who was a great Quaker preacher, recorded in his diary. He said, I prayed to God that he would baptize my heart into all conditions so I might be able to enter the needs and conditions of all. Hmm. Are we doing that? Are we getting involved with the world around us? Are we genuinely loving them? Getting into where they live. That's what we're called to do. It's called a love is radical indeed. It says rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And that leads us to the next verse. Look at this. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Uh, I don't know if you ever read him. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a great preacher. Lived back, oh, maybe almost 100 years ago, 80 years ago or so. He tells the story of Chief Justice Charles Evans Hughes. Can I read this to you? It's really interesting the way he wrote it. He said, when Mr. Hughes was appointed Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, he moved to D.C. and transferred his letter to a Baptist church there. His father had been a Baptist minister, and Hughes had been a lifelong witness to his own faith in Christ. And it was the custom in that church to have all new members come forward during the morning service and be introduced to the congregation. On this particular day, the first to be called was a Chinese laundryman, Ah Sing, who had moved to Washington from San, San Francisco and set up a small laundry near the church. Now, that wasn't cool back in 1930 in D.C. He stood at the far side of the pulpit when he came to join the church. As others were called, they took positions at the extreme other side. And when a dozen people had gathered, Ah Sing still stood alone. And then Chief Justice Hughes was called, and he significantly stood next to the laundryman. Christians are to associate with everybody, no matter who they are. You know, if you know somebody who's poorer than you are, you're still supposed to associate. If you know somebody that's richer than you are, you're still supposed to associate with them. If you know someone that's smarter or not as smart, it doesn't we're all the same in Jesus Christ. You know, we've had a saying that we've been following. It's all level at the cross. When I talk about, I think about some people that, you know, some men's IQ people that, you know, let me tell you what, their IQ is still infinitesimally small compared to God Almighty. And he's told me, I want to have the mind of Christ. And that's what I'm working on. I want the mind of Christ. 
And he teaches me more and more. The more I read his word and the more I know him and the more I love him. And that gives me his genuine love, doesn't it? Makes no difference what our station in life is at all. And then here, uh, in these last verses, we're told, we're told how to, to love a hostile world. It says, repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live ne- Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. <laughs> That's ultra-radical because it's ultra-unnatural, isn't it? The world says common sense demands getting even. You know, how many times someone, you know, you want to give them the right hand of Christian fellowship, left hand full of envelopes, but, you know, you, you always you want to just re- re- react to them, don't you? To someone, that's not the way we're supposed to do it at all. It's not showing them the genuine love of Christ. There is a better way, God's way. And here's the thing, it has, has two ways to do it, to make it happen. First, trust God. Look at verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. We have to trust God that his plan will work. It will happen. It will be fulfilled. He's in charge. He's the one that's doing it. We're just following him. Any amens? Yeah. Are we? Okay. We have to trust God to work in the life of the one who wronged us. If someone has um, leaving room for God's wrath is leaving room for God to do his work. You know what I read in Isaiah 19.22? It says uh, he, strike, he was going to strike Egypt and then heal Egypt. He has to strike first and then he heals. Uh, you know, it's one of these days God's, God's judgment is going to come an ultimate judgment, and the people who don't turn to him, he'll judge. He'll judge fully, but he's the one that does it. We have to trust him on this one, don't we, to let him do it. Here's the second thing we have to do. We have to do what's positive good. Now, this is a hard one. I've been working on this for years. You know, some of you may have already cracked this one, and I'm still working. I'm still under construction on this one, but... It says, look at this, it says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap coals on his head. Now, what does that really mean? Come on, you know. In doing good to our enemies, we're going to heap burning pangs of shame and contrition on their heads, which hopefully, but not surely, <laughs> will lead them to God's grace. But that's the way we show them. Oh, so... The best, you know, the best example of this, I love the story in the scripture. In the Old Testament, remember when, when uh, uh, Saul was chasing David and he's trying to kill him. And, and David's got a few of his good men and, and they're, they're held up in a cave. And, and Saul goes over and he, he's uh, relieving himself. <laughs> and David's standing so close to him, he cuts off a piece of his robe. Saul's trying to kill, trying to kill him. And he says, I'm not going to do that because he's the anointing one of God. God's going to deal with him. I'm not. So he lets, he goes.
He cuts off a piece of a rope. And I love this. Let me read it to you. And after the king had gone down from the cave, he says, Then Saul left the cave and went on his way. After that, David got up and went out of the cave and called to Saul, My lord the king. He's looking for him. Can't find him. He says, My lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David knelt low with his face to the ground and paid homage to the man that's trying to kill him. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of people who say, Look, David intends to harm you. You can see with your own eyes that the Lord handed you over to me today. And in the cave, someone advised me to kill you. But I took pity on you and said, I won't lift my hand against my Lord since he is the Lord's anointed. Look, my father, look at the corner of your robe in my hand, for I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. Recognize that I've committed no crime or rebellion. I haven't sinned against, even though you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord take vengeance on you for me. But my hand will never be against you. As the old proverb says, wickedness comes from wicked people. My hand will never be against you. Coals of fire heaped on his head. And listen to how Saul responded. He says, when David finished saying these things to him, Saul replied, is that your voice? David, my son. Then Paul, Saul wept aloud and said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have done what is good to me, though I have done what is evil to you. You yourself have told me today what good you did for me. When the Lord handed me over to you, you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go unharmed? May the Lord repay you with good for what you have done for me today. It's all in 1 Samuel 24. It's a good good story to read, isn't it? Got anybody chasing you? Satan's people chasing you? You know how we're supposed to respond? That's Satan. You can't do anything against Satan. These are battles in the heavens. We're just here with his heavenly armor on, aren't we? Standing firm in him. Sadly, you know, Saul never did open himself to God's grace. But he could have. You know, the coals were meant to be a prelude to David's blessing, weren't they? I, I love the story. I picked up some of these, these stories from uh, some other people, that, uh, several men, who uh, gave some illustrations about this very thing in, in uh, our lives. Um, one of them is W.C. Fields was seen reading the Bible one day, and a friend came up to him and said, What are you doing in the Bible? W.C. Fields, you remember him? Some of you know who he is. He said, what are you doing? He says, looking for loopholes. Couldn't find any. You know this thing about heaping coals on people's head? Because the wrath belongs to God, the judgment belongs to God. There's no loopholes in that story, folks. Not going to get around that one. You know what? We're not going to be able to avenge ourselves for anything that Satan may have done or might be trying to do here. We have to leave it to God. But what we can do is show them the love of God that's in this church family. Yes? And we need to show that to some folks that are... Satan is is surrounding us right now. We have been attacked this week. And you know what? All we've done is responded with God's love. He even tried to stop these baptisms this morning. And I did stop one of them. 
Um, I'll tell you about that later. But you know what? We love the Lord. And we did these baptisms. You heard these testimonies this morning. And we rejoice. And they're rejoicing in heaven right now too, aren't they? You know what? We serve our Lord. And we're going to serve Him. And we're going to keep right on serving Him. Last verse says our text here. Verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It can be done. It is done by God's people. Love of the church and love in the world go together. That's why we're here. That's why he's left us here. Uh, they're the man's of commitment. Our, our minds have been renewed and they are being renewed. Our lives have been transformed. They are being transformed. And the Holy Spirit can do it all through us. Are we loving the church? Yeah? We know how to love the church. Are we doing that? I pray that we are. Are we loving the world? I pray that we are, that they see the love that's right here. My prayer for the fellowship here at Boulevard is that when we're wronged by the world, that the world sees a church that loves God through Jesus Christ, and then they will want that. And they'll know that this love that we have is genuine love of God. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for your, your, your manual. <laughs> Lord, your instructions of how we are to live in the world, how we're to love each other, and how we're to love the world around us, Lord, so that they can see you. That's why we're here, Lord, to tell them about your saving grace through Jesus Christ. You've already conquered everything in this world, Lord, and we praise you for that. And, Lord, we come to you and to you only, and we rest in that. Our faith, Lord, is in you. Lord, I pray you continue to do great work here with your people where we are today. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You want to come and do the offering, right? You, you already did the offering? Oh. You know, I, I, I look around me. Thank you. I look around me and, and uh, you know, that when we say words like this,